G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Uh, We previewed the idea that we're going to be talking to one of our church denominational leaders here in Australia and we're going to be discussing the dramatic changes coming to the state of Victoria under the new conversion laws that will criminalise Christian prayer and pastoral care you might be wondering what church denominational leaders are telling pastors and priests about those developments. Well, some insights today into the idea that Christian prayer and pastoral care for people with unwanted same-sex attraction has become a crime in Victoria, and it's likely to follow on in the state of Western Australia. In WA, similar laws are already part of the platform for the McGowan Labor government who are headed for a landslide election win in just a couple of weeks. Well, our special guest today is one of Australia's prominent church leaders. The Reverend Dr Peter Barnes is the Moderator General of the Presbyterian Church of Australia. Now, there are more than 500 congregations of the Presbyterian Church in Australia and one of the biggest representations is in the state of Victoria. The Reverend Barnes says his pastors will not be directed to obey a ban on prayer practices, deliverance or even exorcism. Well, the Reverend Dr Peter Barnes, a special welcome along to 2020. Thank you, Neil. Yeah. Peter, thank you so much for being a part of a conversation like this. And I know listeners will be very interested to hear what you've got to say because it is quite controversial. I wonder whether your outspokenness is uh, is broadly reflected amongst the church leaders that you are mixing with, those who are peers leading other denominations. Uh, do you have these sorts of con- conversations? Are other denominational leaders thinking the same way you do? Well, yes and no. Uh, firstly, I'm not quite in that category. I'm still in a parish, and so that uh, occupies most of my time. Uh, the Presbyterian moderator is a chairman, so uh, yeah, I've chaired the federal assembly, um, and we'll, they only meet every three years, so that's why I'm the moderator general for three years, so that should be clarified. Uh, I, I think those that take the, the Bible seriously as the Word of God yeah, are very concerned about this legislation. Uh, as you know, there, there will be plenty who have capitulated on that many years ago, and so this won't be an issue for them. Okay. On your National Church website, Peter, you sum up yeah. the new laws saying, in short, this means that sexual preference is protected by law, as is any person's gender preference. Homosexual sex is not permitted to be called sin and a male today can claim to be a female tomorrow. I mean, that, that is, a, in a nutshell, some of the changes that are going on. You've been monitoring those changes, and, and these are quite dramatic changes, aren't they? They're ludicrous, apart from anything else, uh, apart from dangerous. Uh, your sexual preference is regarded as, as fixed, 
and you, you are not to change that, your gender identity is regarded as fluid. Um, and so if a, a person, say a man is a homosexual one day, and he, he wants to get rid of this unwanted sexual attraction for uh, his sex, uh, he's not allowed to do anything. Um, he can do it by himself, but he's not allowed to seek help. If anybody helps him, uh, he, even though he's initiated the conversation, but the person who helps him has broken the law. Whereas the transgender business, uh, if I decide I'm a male today, but I want to be female tomorrow, that's fluid. That's okay. Again, that cannot be questioned. So it's arbitrary. This is supposed to be related to science. It's got nothing to do with science. It's, it's got nothing to do with scripture. It's got nothing to do with anything that's sensible. Uh, this is this is a, a fad of the of the moment, and uh, it's in power. So when LGBT rights trump all other rights and it's made into a law, then there's something there that puts a weapon in the hands of activists who want to then, uh, you know, uh, bring mayhem into what we would say, and as you're saying, is is what, uh, you know, a biblical foundation for normal. Uh, give us some insights here into, into how you've been assessing and processing this idea that as these rights have been made law, it actually then begins to trample on the rights of churches to do what churches do. I think the key problem goes back a fair way. It's not as though it's suddenly bubbled to the surface now. It's been uh, bubbling underneath the surface for quite a long time. <clears throat> but the Christian view, excuse me, is, uh, or the biblical view, is clearly that uh, homosexual sex is wrong, and it's the act that's wrong and, and uh, to start off with. So... Uh, if if a man lies with another man in a sexual act, that's wrong. What what uh, the LBGTQI crew have uh, got away with is that this is actually identity. So, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, it's been put in the same category as racism. This is your identity. So you don't make fun of someone of another nationality. Um, you don't discriminate against them, you don't discriminate against homosexuals and for the same reason, it's their identity. So, yeah, I'm however tall, I'm you know, I'm six foot tall, I'm of some nationality uh, and that's, that's to be protected. It's A lot of it's cultural Marxism, wittingly or unwittingly, uh, the thought that the, the, the view that the vulnerable people uh, because Marxism didn't work, the vulnerable people who replaced the classic Marxist proletariat were uh, those uh, who uh, are sexually deviant from from the biblical norm, uh, those who are of, of colour, in nationality, and, and uh, women. And so that's been put as the three identities which must be protected. Now, it's so seen in that category. Let's once get you, to once you put it in that category, it's evil to go against it. Right, it, it becomes uh, evil to go against the new legalized LGBT uh, level of uh, becoming an identity, and uh, that's yes. an important point to be made because 
out of a biblical foundation, and this is what biblical scholars do, isn't it? Uh, They find out what it is that is divinely appointed as identity when it comes to our relationship before God. And, and, and of course, uh, you're a theologian, Peter, and uh, no doubt you've thought through these things pretty carefully over time and before making a statement like you've made, which is a strong statement. Uh, how confident we can we be? Uh, and, of course, uh, Presbyterian theology, a solid, sound, reformed uh, theological position, how confident can we be on the biblical interpretation of what it is uh, when it comes to these issues of sexuality? Well, I think the Bible teaches is quite plain. So I'd, I think you have to uh, want to muddy the waters in order to make it uh, mean anything else. So it teaches what it teaches. And, and in practice, too, there have been many, many, uh, and I've known a number, and uh, there have many have put, gone to print to record how they've changed from being uh, having homosexual tendencies or lesbian tendencies, uh, and uh, and been in lesbian relationships and homosexual relationships, and come out, uh, come out the other way, uh, come out. Uh, many of them become Christians, and that's led to uh, a Christian view of morality. Some of them simply just come out of it without becoming Christians, and and they're out there. But now these people are not allowed to be heard. Uh, and there's quite a few testimonies. I heard one not long ago, a woman saying that uh, 10 years ago she was lesbian and she wanted to get out of it. She, she couldn't live with herself. Uh, she said, if this had been the legislation, I, I could have ended my life. I was suicidal. The fact that she got help uh, was, was crucial. Uh, the important thing here... Not being heard. Uh, the important thing is when people come to the church for help. Uh, this is what has been outlawed. This is what has become criminalized. So if there's someone who offers prayer or guidance or pastoral care, uh, then they are all of a sudden on the side of committing a crime. Now, what have you directed your pastors to do when the biblical foundation comes into conflict with the biblic, uh, with the uh, the foundation that's being laid by uh, legislators in the state of Victoria? What have you directed your pastors to do? It's not the way the system works in the Presbyterian. Uh, I I can't direct them to do anything. It's the assembly that uh, can direct them to do things. Uh, but I've simply reminded us all that when we signed up for this, we signed up for teaching the whole counsel of God. But we didn't sign up for teaching bits and pieces of it. Uh, And so our obligation, our continuing obligation, is is what it was before. Uh, We get the word of God from from the Bible. We don't get it from the Victorian Parliament. Uh, And so we're committed to the whole counsel of God. And the second thing was, uh, I pointed to an example uh, in Daniel chapter 6, uh, where uh, Daniel was forbidden to pray uh, to to Yahweh, to the God of Israel, and he simply continued on doing what he had been doing before. Uh, and that is our obligation. That's our God-given obligation. Uh, 
to keep on doing as you were doing before uh, according to a biblical context and interpretation that says uh, it's God first. We don't get our laws from the parliament uh, in that sense of uh, overriding the laws of God. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Our special guest this hour is the Reverend Dr. Peter Barnes. He's Moderator General of the Presbyterian Church in Australia and uh, taking a real move in leadership uh, in the way he's talking about how the pastors uh, as part of the Presbyterian Church and in the state of Victoria where it's now uh, considered to be illegal to have prayer and pastoral care for people with unwanted same-sex attraction. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. You can join our conversation. Peter, I think we'll take some calls uh, early and then we'll move on with some other deeper things that we'll want to talk about. But let's take a call, first of all, from Steve in Parks in New South Wales. Hello, Steve. Welcome along. Hey, good luck, Brother Neil and Reverend Peter. Look, uh, I, uh, this is a, so difficult, this subject, to get your head around it. I, uh, I, I found similarities uh, from a very famous legal case that went before the U.S. Supreme Court in 1927. It was known as Buck versus Bell. And why I draw this conclusion, I'd liken this gender diversity to uh, Hitler's eugenics. The case went before uh, the Supreme Court of the United States. It was won on an appeal where they were mass sterilizing women in the United States back in 1927. Um, They'd have to go to uh, Christian lawyers to take a look at it. Uh, It's called uh, The Hidden Story of Eugenics, the Supreme Court case that changed America. Now, this eugenics has very... The actual legal argument is that similar to um, what's going on with this gender diversity, which I find terrifying. And many parents out there who just want a normal upbringing for their children... Can I I read you just two sentences? Uh, You need to be quick. Yep, quickly, Steve. Very quick. It was done by Natasha Mitchell by the ABC Radio National Program, Earshot, on the 9th of August, 2016. And it says, In this four-part series... Radio National's Natasha Mitchell reveals a little told story of misplaced power, misguided science and social engineering as we're on the cusp of liberal eugenics driven by modern genetics and the mantra of international uh, individual choice. Um, and I'll, but it's, it's the, the, the similarities to what's going on with this uh, and the interference in, it in the, the Australia school system. Okay, Steve, uh, let me just cut in here, and we'll get a thought or two from our guest, the Reverend Dr. Peter Barnes. Uh, Peter, uh, I'm not sure whether you're familiar with the Buck versus Bell case, uh, but you might be able to reflect here on issues around experimentation, uh, even similarities to eugenics. Uh, any thoughts here for our caller, Steve? Yeah, I think the broader view is right. I, uh, I'm not a legal man, so I'll leave that to the legal legals. Uh, but just in terms of the culture and what was prevailing, yeah, eugenics became very popular. 
uh, not just in Germany, but uh, in other parts of uh, Europe and, and America, and including Australia too. And there were some things done, plenty of things done that should never have been done. Uh, and the eugenics uh, machine, as it were, uh, juggernaut, uh, ran aground with Nazi Germany. He didn't, didn't use the term for very long. But you know, in 1960, the Racial Hygiene Association of New South Wales changed its name to Family Planning. And we've we've got a eugenics mentality, which has been revived. Although there still is this hesitancy about using the word eugenics, but uh, we're seeing a designer babies, uh, you know, the quest for perfection in the wrong way, uh, not the biblical way, but in in a very utopian, unrealistic way, and a very coercive way. And so, yes, this idea of a good birth. We all have a right to a good birth, and if if uh, if it doesn't happen, we uh, can take measures against that. This this right to interfere in this coercive way, yep, it's uh, it's there with eugenics, and this is part of the whole approach. Steve, thank you so much for your call. We are taking calls on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen, and we may pick up on some of those points that you've made. We'll take some calls as we go here. Tom is on the line from Albany in Western Australia. Hello, Tom. Welcome along. Hello. How are you? Good, Tom. What are your thoughts? Um, well, I was just ringing up because I was a bit confused um, at what was being said about uh, the, the quotation from Daniels that we should be uh, un- uh, undermining the law in, fav- in appeal to what the Bible teaches. Uh, because I've always been under the impression that we should appeal to Romans chapter 13, where we say you know, that there is no government anywhere that God has not placed in power. Um, so those who refuse to obey the law of the land are refusing to obey God. But I've always grown up think, uh, being told or taught that when there is some kind of clash between theology and law, that we should uh, ultimately obey the law. So it feels as though this is a bit of a... So, Tom, uh, before we get a thought or two from uh, Reverend Dr. Peter Barnes, are you happy, Tom, in your local church, if your pastor says something that contravenes the law and his sermon notes are then having to be called upon as evidence against him, or that there might be some education process that might be brought into the leadership of your church to tell them how to interpret the Bible. Any thoughts uh, from you, Tom, as to how you might feel about that? Yeah, I think it it would be a a kind of a a dangerous use of uh, influence to try and undermine the law, uh, even if, you know, if if someone's, uh, you know, uh, pastoring was, uh, to you know, cl- clash with the law. I think we should appeal to the law, or Tom, like dangerous consequences. Okay, well, let's get a thought or two here from uh, the Reverend Doctor Peter Barnes. Uh, Peter, what are your thoughts for Tom? Well, Romans thirteen uh, tells us to obey those in, in authority, but Acts five twenty nine says uh, we must obey God rather than man. Uh, and so we're going to bring those two texts together. Another text that, that say some something similar. Um, so Daniel, for example, uh, clearly goes with Acts 5.29. We have an obligation to obey the law, the civil authorities. If the fellow down the road takes my money, that might be robbery. If the, the government does it, that's taxation. Uh, and that's legitimate. And I might 
disagree with a lot of things the government does, I still have to do it. Uh, and, and clearly that's what Romans 13 is saying. I, I don't just obey the bits of the law that I agree with or are convenient for me. It's more than that. But when the law, uh, the legal authorities set themselves up over and above the law of God, then you, you've got a different category. And, and that's Acts 5.29. I don't think you can simply appeal to Romans 13 and say, our duty is to obey the, God, uh, obey the magistrates no matter what, or the emperor or whoever is in authority. Okay. Uh, that's not what the Bible's saying. That's clearly not what the Bible's saying. That's, that's, that's taking one verse and absolutizing it and, and, and not looking at, at the many examples through Scripture where uh, those felt obliged to disobey the law precisely because they were obeying God's law. You know, Elijah takes on Ahab, for example. So, uh, message for Tom, uh, careful not to absolutize one scripture and take that as being the way that the church ought to respond. Uh, there's lots of scriptures and lots of ways uh, that need to be thought through very carefully and a biblical position to be sought. Tom, thank you so much for your call. We're about to go to news. Uh, the Reverend Dr. Peter Barnes is our guest. And uh, Peter, before we take another call and our talkback line open on one 316 You've been thinking through an issue here which is very important, the balance on freedom versus morality and the, the sort of stance that leaders need to think through when it comes to this issue. What are your thoughts around freedom or morality? Can I quickly go back to the other one, to the exorcism issue? Um, sure, yeah. That, yep. That's a practice that's unknown in the Presbyterian churches. So, uh, I don't know that I said that. All right, um, okay. My apologies <laughs> so, uh, uh, if I've misquoted that, no, you. Right. On hmm. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, my point on uh, freedom and morality was uh, we've had people say that they'll defend uh, the right, the, the freedoms of people to do, uh, of Christians to do what they have been doing, and I think that's being eaten up over the last decades. That uh, if people don't have the faith underpinning that, uh, well, then when the pressure's on, the the freedom issue just somehow evaporates. And I I was particularly thinking of a rather spineless uh, exhibition by the Liberal Party during these, the Victorian debates, and I think it'll be uh, duplicated elsewhere, uh, that they've talked about freedoms, but uh, they, they've really swallowed the basic line that it is a sin to call homosexual sex or lesbian sex a sin. It's a sin to call any sort of sexual sin a sin. And, and we've been used to that for years. You don't call people out for that. Uh, you, you don't teach it. You, you sort of run the other way. Um, and that's coming back to, to, to bite us big time. I think that's what's happened. So that's, in that sense... Freedom is an insecure basis for law. Uh, it's a good thing, freedom, yeah. but it's an insecure basis. All right. Well, you might have your own thoughts on that. 1-800-316-316. Let's take another call or two here, Peter. Lawrence is on the line from Perth in WA. Hello, Lawrence. Welcome. Oh, good morning. Thank you. It seems to me that the conversion legislation in Victoria is principally aimed at the individual regarding conversion practices. 
So if an individual Presbyterian pastor ends up convicted, how would the Presbyterian church support them? Peter, your thoughts for Lawrence? Well, I hope they'd give him every support. Um, we're called upon as Christians to do the right thing in the right way, uh, to speak the truth in love, to to combine things, justice and mercy, that are difficult sometimes to combine. Uh, but I hope that anyone who was uh, yeah, fell foul of these laws would would be very supported by the church. How how that takes place. Uh, how that uh, takes place and how it might be interpreted, Peter, uh, because uh, no doubt there'll be people who will look to set the church up here by seeking support. Oh, yes. And, uh, and there'll be yes. some offence along the way and then all of a sudden the churches yes. will have stepped over the mark and uh, it'll be a, a court yes. appearance. Uh, what are your thoughts for that likelihood? Oh, that's, that's 110% likely. You know, that's, it's it's tailor-made for that sort of uh, scenario. Uh, and it's tailor-made for you know discrimination boards to get jobs. That's why it's set up. Okay. Well, yeah. L- Lawrence, does that answer your question, Lawrence? Uh, yes, thank you very much. Thank you very much for your call. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. Let's take another call. Steve is on the line from Gundagai in New South Wales. Hello, Steve. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me on your show this morning and discussing this very, very troubling and difficult issue. What are your thoughts then, Steve? Well, as a uh, Baptist pastor of 16 years, it's, um, it's always difficult as we see society moving further and further away from God's law. Where, where the point is where we have to balance and discern um, that Romans 13 uh, passage. And many people are using uh, that exact passage to uh, point the church away from trusting and uh, following the Lord first, uh, rather than the government um, being able to uh, dictate and uh, guide um, the church in the direction that many are going, and so it is. It is a, a real struggle um, to find that discernment point, but yeah, that's where the point of prayer and and uh, being um, guided by the Word of God is just absolutely necessary in this. And and as uh, the Presbyterians um, uh, have to deal with this, so did the Anglicans, so did the Baptists, so do every denomination. Every denomination um, has to deal with this. Steve, let me just cut in a thought or two here from Peter Barnes. Your thoughts for Steve? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think we're all reading from the same book, hopefully. Uh, and yeah, I think the, the, the Bible's clear on, on this issue. I don't think this is a fuzzy issue. We might differ over some things, but this is... This uh, is a, an issue where the Bible speaks with utter clarity. Um, and we, we just have to be faithful. Uh, I don't know anything beyond that. We, we're called upon to teach the whole counsel of God. Uh, you know, that's our task. and it's, it's not given to us to, to change that task. It's, it's given us to proclaim what's been given to us to proclaim. So. 
Steve, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. Let's just come down to some nitty-gritty foundations here, Peter, because we're talking about, as uh, as our last caller said, you know, do I obey the, uh, the Lord or do I obey the government? Uh, issues here in our very basic biblical understanding of the kingdom, where God is a king. I mean, that's a political title in itself, what are your thoughts here for where the Christian stands uh, in relation to the king and the government? Well, we're, uh, the Christian's in two kingdoms. Yeah, he's in the king- kingdom of the world, and he's in the kingdom of God, uh, and Christ is the king. Uh, so he's king of kings and lord of lords. Uh, that's not said of any human ruler. Uh, and, and so there's that. That's the proportion. So... Uh, Paul says in the end of Philippians chapter 3, our citizenship is in heaven. So Paul was a Roman citizen, the, the Apostle Paul. He was a Roman citizen, but he's, he's saying the overriding citizenship that he possessed, the, the greater one, the crucial one, the everlasting one, was the fact that his citizenship was in heaven and Christ was the king and head and would come again and uh, yeah, the resurrection of the dead would follow and so on. So... That's the language that the Apostle Paul speaks. And that's, that's to be the Christian understanding of the two kingdoms. How important do you think it is, Peter? Because when church leaders speak out against the governing law of the land and say, we obey the king first, doesn't this bring into light this idea that religious freedom becomes so important because if you lose religious freedom, you lose what is... Uh, the primary voice to speak out against those things that might be tyrannical uh, that come from uh, governing leaders. And so if you've got the government controlling the church, you have no freedom. All freedom for every person in the nation disappears. Any thoughts here on just how important this freedom is for the church to maintain this level of independence and serve God first? I think, personally, I think that's crucial, um, that there's a transcendental aspect to this, that uh, it's not just my opinion versus somebody else that, that on one issue or another, uh, but we're saying something far more vital than that, that, that there is a, a God who judges all. Uh, and it, it, we are granted freedoms, but the freedom uh, uh, not to be used in the wrong way. Uh, so, you know, they say Galatians 5, it talks about, you know, this freedom that we have in Christ, but don't misuse this freedom, uh, you know, so make sure you love one another. So uh, let's see, but it's the religious foundation to freedom is actually crucial. But I also think that on an issue like this, it's it's not just uh, Christian people and others who who uh, run full foul of the law, but a, a family discussion where one member of the family announces that. Yeah, uh, he, he's a male today. He wants to be female tomorrow, or, or uh, he's come out as, as homosexual, or she is lesbian. And if any other member of the family questions that and uh, suggests that that's the wrong course, that person, whether he or she has argued in a religious way or not, is breaking the law. It's so it it has spillover effects. A good law on good 
approach to religious freedom, I'm not sure you can guarantee it by law, but a good approach to religious freedom has over effects for good elsewhere. And uh, this, this law has wide ramifications. So when we talk about everybody. the law, a new law is made and uh, people say the law is educative. Uh, we talk about biblical law and say biblical law is educative. Well, uh, interesting oh. here. Let me just quote the Victorian Attorney General, uh, Ms. Jacqueline Symes, who's quoted as saying, when this bill is passed, there will be a 12-month implementation period. The Victoria Equal Opportunity and Human Rights Commission will be providing education, materials and advice to religious organisations. Uh, now, I'm perhaps maybe interpreting a quote like that as saying the government is going to tell the church what it can teach. What are your feelings when you get that sort of, you know, it perhaps is subtle, but it has the intention of making the church bend to the law of the day rather than the law of God. Any thoughts here, Peter? Well, she's only saying what the law already says. It's, that's exactly where it's heading. It, that's the, the, that logical trajectory. <laughs> They're actually saying we are not giving Christians freedom to do this because we believe that's dangerous. So we believe that we have to coerce on this issue and fine people exorbitant amounts and, and threaten people with jail. Uh, if they pray for someone who's asked for prayer uh, on, on the same-sex issue, for example. Uh, so there's re-education camps. That's, that's what she's talking about. Uh, and if people say, oh, that's too extreme. <laughs> how you... else are you going to... She's interpreted the law the way it's written. She's, she's not distorting it. And if you exactly can't, what it leads to. if you can't reflect the biblical teaching of what God says about sexuality from the pulpit, mm. how would you expect a parliamentarian to stand up on an opposition side and present any level of freedom of political communication? Because uh, this one thing leads to another. If you can't say something uh, and it's illegal to say it, well, how will anyone uh, represent? what might be an alternative view. Uh, I mean, can you trust the politicians to do that? I mean, is that what's happening in Victoria? Uh, give us your thoughts here on, on what one thing leads to another here, Peter. Well, of course, that's true. I think that uh, the logic, for example, of, of say, the wider view of uh, churches not being allowed to discriminate uh, and, and on, on these issues and uh, that sort of language and... Uh, the church can't decide who its members are, that sort of thing. Well, political parties decide who their members are, that right? But they say, no, that's our right, but it's not your right. Uh, it becomes it becomes arbitrary. You've given too much power and the wrong creed to the wrong people. Uh, and, and, yes, the, the door is open and it will, will keep going down that same track until we realise we've gone through the wrong door. And so when the church is criminalised, you've got this idea of clamping down on free speech, as you say, and as I've just quoted the, uh, the Victorian Attorney-General, uh, a re-education of the church to teach what the government says, not what the Bible teaches. This is, in fact, an illustration of what we've been talking about on this radio program for a long time in all sorts of different areas, a rise of authoritarianism. 
you've, yeah. You're also using that terminology, I think, uh, on the front page of your Presbyterian Church website, uh, as that authoritarianism is on the rise. Oh, it is. Yeah, yeah. We are, are seeing people making laws that, uh, you know, decades ago they would never thought of making laws about it. The thought police are out there. <laughs> you know, what you say, what you think um, is now being governed. And, uh, and there's no basis for it except this, you know, cultural Marxism. Uh, it's certainly lost its Christian basis. So uh, the only thing that's wrong is saying something is wrong. Uh, and so those who say uh, that there are sexual commandments that God has given us and there's commandments on other issues too, you know, an issue would be another one, uh, yeah, to do with life. Uh, and those who say that these sort of issues are moral issues, that becomes wrong in itself. You know, the, you're not allowed to say these things are moral issues. <laughs> And so you're saying to people who are in the Presbyterian Church, and our opportunity today to have you say this right across all sorts of boundaries uh, denominationally, people from all sorts of denominations listening in today, about being able to identify the whole counsel of God. And uh, that's what you're advising your church leaders to acknowledge that there is a whole council of God in here and you've got to be able to make a distinction between what is something that you'll stand for even though the law might say you should not. Yes, and that, no, I mean, that was taken as a given. I think that decades ago, people didn't question that. People who are not Christians still thought that Christians had that right. Uh, now... The, the hostile element has become more coercive. Uh, and those, this is Dr. Johnson back in the 18th century, how is it that the loudest yelp for freedom comes from the slave owners? You know, uh, And those parties that talk about freedom and compassion and uh, yeah, the, what it's all about and treating the, looking after the vulnerable, they in fact become the most coercive. Um, and, and keen on achieving things through legislation and uh, through setting up unelected boards and bodies and commissions that, that uh, implement these things. Uh, let's take one more call. Graham is on the line from Cleveland in Queensland. Hello, Graham. Welcome. Hello. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, I, I just want to uh, thank you all for bringing this topic, you know, to the surface. Um um, I was listening to Martin earlier on as well, and um, one of the points I guess to touch on here is the uh, perhaps the, the disinterest that could be shown by non-religious uh, folk in this whole discussion or um, debate, because um, there's a potential here I see that that religious freedom may just be the first to topple here if we're not careful, because um, there would be quite easily to move to um, a lack of political freedom and general freedom of association and, and so on until we end up in a situation like we see in Russia or Belarus or those sort of places where anyone who defies the, um, the so-called uh, logic of the establishment um, then becomes a criminal. Uh, absolutely. A very important point you're making, Graham. Peter, your thoughts for Graham? Yeah, these things are all connected, and I, the real tragedy is uh, we're, we've lost 
the culture, the culture, uh, the people in general, uh, there's not a coherence to what we hold to. Um, so what is Australian? You know, Australian is someone who wants yeah, to beat the palms of cricket or something. Uh, there's not much that draws us together. There's no coherence in what we believe about life. Uh, and so we, we, it's very adversarial now. Uh, everything's binary you, you, except gender, and uh, it's 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 not a, a healthy situation at all. I, I think Western society in general has uh, flowed in the very troubled waters. Yeah. Troubled waters, Graham. Thank you so much for your call. Running out of time now. I wonder whether uh, there is a point to be made here, uh, Peter. The idea of, because uh, we're talking about civil disobedience, so you're saying to your pastors, uh, especially those in Victoria, you're reminding them that there is the whole counsel of God to consider uh, before they bow to the, the government. Uh, in fact, uh, you're saying, no, stand first before God, just like Daniel and uh, other examples. The idea that there might be civil disobedience, if there is a positive to that, because in that, there is a powerful witness to the gospel. I wonder if you've got any thoughts here on, on those leaders who are umming and ahhing and uh, teetering and tottering, wondering which way to go, that in actual fact, to make a stance may actually be a powerful witness. What are your thoughts here? Oh, I think you're onto something there. Uh, I think that's often the way that God works. Uh, that's, he's shown that through Scripture. And, uh, you know, he blesses those who bless him. And, and that's our, that's our task. Uh, so faithfulness could well be the precursor to uh, renewal and revival, and we hope so. Well, a precursor to renewal and revival, uh, having the courage to be able to stand for God. I'm on the Lord's side. Uh, there's a powerful message in that. And uh, Reverend Dr. Peter Barnes, I want to just honour you for a moment here because uh, unlike a lot of other leaders, and I've not been in touch with all the church leaders, but uh, just to honour you for making a stance here and saying something which is contrary to what a lot of ordinary thinking people who don't think there's much of a problem here. Uh, in fact, uh, you've made a stand here and said there is a problem and uh, our leaders uh, ought not to uh, just be too quick to obey the laws of a parliament uh, and put those things above the laws of God. And when we talk about coercive practices of re-educating the church about what they can teach as truth, those things so very, very important. Peter, when when, when mm. listeners go to the Presbyterian Church website, and I want to point people to it because they'll read your statement on the very front page there, presbyterian.org.au, uh, you're making a, a pretty bold claim here, uh, taking a leadership role, and uh, that's what we're honouring you for today. Uh, but what do you encourage people to, when they go to the Presbyterian website, uh, they're going to see that statement there. How do you hope people will respond? It doesn't matter who said it. What matters ultimately is is God said it. Uh, that that we have an obligation to teach the whole council. We have an obligation to obey God first. Uh, and I think upon the these things, um, what life's about, where do we want to go as a as a church and as a society? Uh, they're the issues. And if God has spoken and spoken clearly and spoken truth and spoken grace, uh, spoken forgiveness, spoken all that we need in the right proportion, 
and bringing it all together because that's a reflection of his, his, all his attributes, his character. Uh, yeah, think on these things. There are, that's what it's about. There are some deeper things to think about, and when they come into conflict with what the government is saying you should do, uh, you need to think very carefully and uh, choose which side you are on. Uh, and, uh, of course, uh, just coming back to that last point we were making, uh, that it may actually be a positive witness uh, to stand up and say this is the truth of God. Uh, the Reverend Dr Peter Barnes is Moderator General of the Presbyterian Church of Australia. You can read the short statement that he's made uh, that's been the basis for our conversation today. And uh, you might be saying, well, how do I find that? You'll get it on the front page at presbyterian.org.au. Presbyterian.org.au. Uh, Peter Barnes, thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. Thank you very much. God bless. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.